Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and life coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Tuesday, March 27th, 2018, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, your first daily dose of happy for the day. And we're off to a happy start this week. Yesterday was happy. Today is happy. Of course, every day is happy around here. That's why we do the daily dose of happy. And we hope that you're happy as well. Cindy, are you feeling happy today? I'm feeling happy today. I mean, yes. that was a leading question, I know, but, you know, <laughs> I had to ask anyway, because that's what we do around here. We do happiness. Um, how, how's it been for you since we talked uh, six days ago? I, I always feel like there's this big gap every time, you know, between our, <laughs> we, we have our two days and then you're gone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Last night, I was like, oh, wait, I have the podcast in the morning. Like, <laughs> not not like I worry I would forget, but it just, it was a, it was kind of a strange um break for me this past six days just because my schedule wasn't exactly kind of the way it usually is. I had an event that I was um, running and there were, I took a day off that I don't usually have off, you know, so it was one of those times like after a holiday where you're like, wait, what day of the week is this? And so I realized because yesterday was completely not like a normal Monday for me. It's like, Last night, oh wait, oh got to make sure that I uh, set my alarm. It's the only two days I set an alarm, so <laughs> that does have to happen. Um, but yeah, everything's everything's been good. We had a um, the the march for our lives was this weekend in my city. I live in the capital, and I attended, and it was amazing. And I came away from that event feeling. Um, encouraged and hopeful and lots of good feelings. Oh, wow. And so uh, to me, it feels like a big win. Like I'm still on a high from it. And it was interesting because I mean, actually I wrote a piece um, yesterday that was published yesterday at Confluence Daily. And I wrote it because we were coming back and we noticed something interesting. There were these flyers that had a picture of our capital and the name of our city on them. So they were, you know, mass produced, but that they were local, you know, they had the local information on them and I just wanted one to save it. Mm-hmm. There were thousands of people there and the capital is sort of up a hill. And when we started walking, we, we, our starting point was about a mile from the capital, but it's a straight shot. So you can see the capital at the end of the street, right? Oh, wow. And it was people as far as you could see. And, and we know when we started walking, we were like in the back of the crowd. And so as far as I could see, all the way to the Capitol was just nothing but people. And then I turned around and it was as far as I could see behind me, too. I was like, where are all these other people? I was in the back and suddenly I was in the middle. And so when we were leaving, I had three signs. And I wa- but I wanted the little sign that had, you know, the city on it. We couldn't find one. We couldn't find an empty water bottle. We couldn't find, there was not one piece of trash anywhere. Really? I mean, it was nothing but beautiful green grass all the mile back to the car. There were cars, there were people walking, people were smiling at each other with a very hopeful, knowing smiles. Um, There were, there was anger and there was tears and there was every emotion you can imagine when the speeches were happening, the crowds were cheering, but the overall emotion was, it was peaceful. It was orderly. And there was a lot of hope. And when I got in the car to post a picture that I had taken because social media was just buzzing with pictures from all over the world. And I see a Facebook post where someone says, 
you know, they start out with something like, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to judge people that are going to these protests. But <laughs> I don't, I don't go to these things because I just don't resonate with all that negativity and anger and fear. Oh, that's interesting. And I, and I did not, I did not say it. I didn't make the comment. Um, I'm not for one to get into long drawn out, you know, political debates in a comment thread. I don't do trolls. I don't, <laughs> I, I just don't. But no trolls just, fed I, here. I, I channel all that. I I channel those ideas into pieces that I write that are published. So oh, you know, okay. I, my views are out there, um, and I'm okay with discourse. I mean, I'm on a podcast, right? But yeah, right. <laughs> what I wanted to say, but do you resonate with the energy of safety and the energy of beautiful children who aren't afraid to go to school and the energy of, you know peace and order and joining together to accomplish a solution, you know, kind of thing. Um, I didn't say it, but that's what I was thinking. And it was just interesting. Um, just interesting to hear all the, all those different ideas, but the, the event itself was, was awesome. And I'm glad that I went, I can, I'm counting it as a win because I, I still feel really good about it. Well, great. I'm glad it had such a positive effect on you. And then when I opened the book that we're reading, you know, we're, working our way through money and the law of attraction on the podcast. And I opened to the section and it's how can I not feel their pain? <laughs> yeah, thought, that's pretty okay. appropriate. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's part of the reason why I even brought this up because when I opened the book, I thought, okay, well that's kind of like where, you know, uh, let's see what they have to say. So what about you? It's been an, a really good week and interesting week. The, the book is almost done. I Ooh. am down to, uh, uh, I'm down to two of the stories that Wendy wrote, and Wendy's a good writer, so zipping through those is going to be literally zipping through. And then I have my own stories that I still have to write. And then it's the first draft is done. So, I mean, that doesn't mean that everything is done because then I have to assemble it into a book, and then I have to do another read-through to make sure I didn't miss any errors the first time, maybe even two read-throughs, depending on what I find, because um, you... You basically just keep going until you you either get tired of going through it or you just run out of things to find. Right. <laughs> there, there's right. really that no end to editing. Process. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's really no end to it. You have to kind of just draw a line somewhere where you decide, okay, it reads pretty well right now. I'm not going to worry if there's an error or two somewhere. Um, <laughs> but that means we're yeah. really close to publishing this thing. We're really, really close. Yeah, It is exciting and it's fun. Yeah. So yeah, I that's can't a, wait to read it. That that's a big thing to. I mean, I'm I can't wait to read it without having to read it as an editor. As an editor, you can't read it the same way. You can't enjoy the stories as much. You're you're constantly analyzing how well is the story holding together. You know, is this part really supporting it properly and all that kind of stuff. You can't you can't enjoy the stories, but that's why I do the editing <clears throat> so that people can enjoy the stories. And I'm looking forward to the day when I can actually just read it and say, oh well, this is good. This is enjoyable. Yeah. And sometimes you have to step away from it for a while. I know that. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a saying that says, write drunk and edit sober. <laughs> and, <laughs> I've never heard that one. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. It really helped me to know that a lot when I first started writing because I had the habit of editing as I was writing. You know, I'd, I'd write a couple sentences. Oh, no, wait, I don't want to say that and scratch it out and go back and erase it or delete it or whatever. Um, and keep changing it, changing it in the writing process. So the whole idea with write drunk and edit sober, it's not literally talking about getting drunk, but it's talking about, you know, it, in the same way that you would have a party and you wouldn't necessarily want to be worrying about cleaning it up the whole time you were having the party. It's like, no, just have a good time and have the party and then, 
and then after you've uh, you know cleaned up and the party's over, then clean up. And so with the editing, it's kind of like I, it shocks me sometimes. I'll have a piece that I've just it's just keep going, just write. Don't worry about the editing yet, and then walk away. But when you come back, you know, when I come back the next day, it's like oh my goodness, it look it reads so different to me when I haven't looked at it yeah. for a little while. Oh, and then it's true. easy to edit, you know, it's easy because I'm not in the process. So I can totally get that. That And, and the idea of that going back, I have definitely done a <laughs> rounds and rounds of editing to something. <laughs> yeah. It's not I, just once, you know. Well, that I, I, I had never heard it experienced or rather expressed that way. Uh, right drunk and edit sober. That, that was new to me. But I had heard about, you know, put in a desk drawer for a few days, which is not nearly as, you know, picturesque <laughs> to describe it that way and that approach does work it makes a huge difference you actually read it very differently like you said you know a few days later it just seems different it seems like wow did i really write it that way did i really say that was i really feeling that because you're not in the same space as you were a few days before i'm glad to hear someone else has that um what did i really write because yeah. i have pieces oh, yeah. that i've written that are drafts and then i've said eh, i've published something else and then gone back and like didn't I have some drafts I was working on that I kind of abandoned and I'll go back and open one and I'll read it. Huh, did I write that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. It, it, it almost sounds, it almost feels like you're, you're, you're writing and reading somebody else's stuff. I mean, you go back and you, you look at it later and like, did I write that? Wow. Yeah. I think that's the whole idea of, you know, we hear the, the idea of the muse or with any kind of writing, writing music, writing books, writing articles, writing songs, pa making paintings, any kind of creativity. Sometimes it feels like, a, where did that come from? It's it's cool. Of course, then again, with the uh, the metaphor that you mentioned that I never heard of, you know, writing drunk. I'm, I'm thinking of like, you know, Ernest Hemingway or Truman Capote or something like that. Right. That's probably what they did. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, some people literally do. But the idea is that when you're drunk, you're not over particular about everything. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you're just, yeah, just, just get it all out there. And then when you're sober <clears throat> and you're editing, you are really paying attention. So hopefully no one just chimed in right at that moment and said, <laughs> well, well, what's even worse is when somebody writes drunk and then it just doesn't get edited. <laughs> it just gets published that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that happens too. Oh Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember who I was talking with the other day, but it's amazing to notice how badly written so many New York Times bestsellers are. And I wondered about for that for the longest time. Like, why why do they allow it to be published in a way that is really just not very good? I mean, some of the sentence structure is, ugh, the paragraph structure is questionable. I mean, even some of the grammar and, and spelling is off and off. And I asked myself, why do they do that? Well, I finally learned why. It's because the book publishers these days are a lot less concerned with the content of the book than they are with how big of an audience does the author have. Right. You know? So if you have a big audience, they'll let almost anything go through as long as it's not pornographic. You know, it's just, you know, sure, yeah, let's go for it. As long as your audience likes it, great by us. Hey, let's see if we can sell this thing. <laughs> I have heard that, that you know, there is a lot of um, – you know, looking at your numbers as far as how many followers you have or, right. you know, whatever on the different social media outlets that that is taken into account. 
Um, so interesting. Yeah. So it's it's all fun stuff, that's for sure. And we are <laughs> delving into it ourselves by doing our own book. It's going to be fun to see how all this comes out. I hope that, that the audience likes it. I think they will. I think they're going to like it a lot. Um, just because when I've shared privately a few you know, tidbits of some of the stories, I've gotten good reactions from people. So if that's any indicator, then I think it's going to be a, a very popular book. Well, we I'm see. excited to read it. I know that you know, there's something about hearing real life experiences where people have had success using the law of attraction and consciously creating something that it it gets me excited and lifts my vibration mm-hmm. and gives me, you know, the idea that, well, I can do this too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How many stories are there so far? Uh, there are about 50, 50 to 55, something like that. I don't remember the exact count. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's quite a few. Awesome. Another yeah. interesting uh, thing, too, a lot of the stories, not, I wouldn't say the majority of them, but a lot of the stories, uh, a significant number, I'm not sure what a lot is, maybe like 20% of them, have included stories of significant pain and hardship that people went through and overcame using Law of Attraction. And I find that to be a fascinating theme. It's a theme that plays out quite a bit in the stories. So, yeah. you know, well, that's, that's life, It is, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's what's so wonderful. I think about finding these ideas and these tools is that we can, we can take some kind of action to alleviate yes. that significant pain. So I can't wait. I'm so excited. The, the other thing I do like too. For- well, yeah. Yeah. This, well, congratulations to all of us because all, there are like 40 people who have contributed to this book. So it's it's a big undertaking by a lot of people. Um, oh, the other thing that I really like is that the stories feel real. I mean, it's not like every story is, you know, I applied the law of attraction and I won the lottery. It's, I actually uh. don't get any stories <laughs> like that. They're much more uh-huh. real world stories, stories that you, you read it and you say, well, yeah, I believe that. You know, if, if if anything, you're asking yourself, well, is that really the law of attraction? It sounds like just a normal everyday event to me. <laughs> but then there, there is the law of attraction element, and then you say, oh, well, that's really interesting. So, yeah, it's going to be good. good. It's going to be good. So we're looking at uh, money and the law of attraction. We're still in part one, but as you mentioned off air, we're about 10 pages from the end. Is that right? We're about 10 pages from part two, and part two is where we get into the actual um, whoops! I was going to read the actual page. The, uh, the, the money—it's it's the money <laughs> part. Isn't it? um, attracting money and manifesting abundance is the title of part two. So, so we're a- about ten pages from part two, and we've been talking about um, some tools that work. That I've been using these tools over and over, mm-hmm. especially since we've started the book, and. I've been having a lot of success with them. Um, I'll tell you, we talked about pivoting and the idea that when we are experiencing something we don't want, we can ask ourselves, well, wait a minute. Yeah. What do I want? But then go a step further and start thinking of reasons why we want the thing. Um, Occasionally, I deal with insomnia. Thankfully, it's not super terrible. Um, I'm doing much, much better. But the other night I realized I woke up. It wasn't really still night, but it was earlier than I want to get up. It was like 4.30, 5 a.m. 
And I woke up and I realized I was awake. And the first thought in my head was kind of like, oh, like I don't want to be awake this early because I felt very wakeful. You know, it was like you wake up and I felt I felt like maybe I wouldn't be able to go back to sleep, but I wanted to. <laughs> so I asked myself, what do I want? I want to go back to sleep. Why do I want to go back to sleep? And I started just thinking of all these great reasons why I wanted to go back to sleep because I, <laughs> I wanted to feel refreshed when I woke up and I wanted to have enough sleep and I'd like to have dreams. And I was just going. And next thing I knew, I mean, I don't think I was awake for three minutes. I was gone. <laughs> that is funny. Oh, my. And so I thought, well, I just used the pivoting, you know, exercise to <laughs> put myself back to sleep. <laughs> That's cool, though. That's great that you did that. Actually, I, I probably should have used that last night because I was awake at one point and it took me a long time to decide to really focus on something to get back to sleep. I ended up listening to a little bit of uh, Esther Hicks and then followed it up by focusing on breathing like I was in meditation, and that put me to sleep. But uh, I probably should have tried pivoting. It never occurred to me. I mean, I never, I'm using it in all kinds of scenarios where it's not necessarily like, you know, that I would think of using any kind of tool like that. Normally, I would do exactly what you did. I would just meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was kind of fun. So, Good. so we've been, you know, learning about these kind of things and we'll continue for the next little while. And then we'll get to the section that's actually about money. We'll get to the good which stuff. I think is, is the reason why people pick up this book because that's it's the right. first name in the title, right? Yeah. Money and the law of attraction, but it also has a subtitle of learning to attract wealth, health, and happiness. And we all know that that is the main thing is that yes. it's not really about money. Um, there are plenty of people with plenty of money that are miserable. Oh yeah. Plenty of people that wish they had a little more money that are actually quite happy. And so <laughs> I think it's the happiness that we're looking for, but the truth is, is that everything takes money in the world we live in and that it's hard sometimes to, not, well, it is, it's difficult to not have your basic needs met. And I think that's why this book is a bestseller. I agree. I think that's exactly what it is. I know it's what made me pick it up for that exact yeah. reason because I was in financial distress at the time that I picked it up and I needed the information that was in it. And I think you said this was like the first one or second one that you read? It was of the second one. I got asking it is given first and had trouble getting through it because of the repetitiveness of it. And so I picked this one up. And I figured, well, maybe this one will resonate more. And it did. It did resonate more. It made more sense to me. So, okay, cool. and then I was able to finish asking it as given later on, like, you know, a couple of years later. Um, and was glad that I did, by the way, I learned a lot from it, but, uh, that first time through was a little rough. <laughs> so before we plunge into this page, we're on the sub, the subtitle of this page or the little title is how can I not feel their pain hmm. before we, uh, get that? Do we have any announcements that we want to make? Uh, just a reminder, uh, that, uh, tonight, Tuesday night, is when Tom Wells and I do our once-a-week uh, evening program. Um, in fact, if you're listening to us on PRN and you wanted to hear us live, you might want to switch over just by going to the website, LOAToday.net, because you can listen to the player there and, and hear us live. And if the, the main reason we do the Tuesday night program is for people who have wanted to call in but just can't really do it during the morning or afternoon podcasts. Uh, which also get broadcast live. Um, we're doing this one live too. You know, so if you're listening on PRN and you always wanted to, to call in and say hello to us, now's your chance. If you're listening right now live on PRN, um, you know, go and, and uh, pick us up at uh, LOAToday.net and the player's right there and 
there's even instructions about how to use the Zoom platform to connect to us, and it's real simple. So please take advantage. Awesome. I would enjoy it. <laughs> we enjoy it, too. I know you're enjoying the Tuesday oh, night yeah. Tom, Tom and I are enjoying it immensely, especially when we get yeah. calls. We've gotten calls about half of the shows, and, and they've been great. They've been a lot of fun. So this section, I'm ready to dive in if you are. I am. Let's go. How can I not feel their pain? Our friend Jerry asked of us, it seems to me that the majority of my discomfort is felt because I'm observing others who are in pain. How could I use the pivoting process to not feel pain about their pain? We explained whatever the subject of your attention, it contains things you want to see as well as things you do not want to see. The pain you are feeling is not because the person you are observing is in pain. Your pain is because you've chosen to look at an aspect of them that causes you to feel pain. There's a big difference. There is a of big course, difference. If this person were not feeling pain, but were instead joyful, it would be easier for you to feel joyful. But you must not rely on conditions changing in order to control the way you feel. You must improve your ability to focus positively regardless of the condition. And to do that, it helps to remember that every subject has wanted and unwanted within it. And that if you are deliberate, you can find something that feels better. Of course, it is easier just to observe something that is right before your eyes than it is to deliberately sift for things that you would prefer to see. However, when it really matters to you that you feel good, you will be less willing to merely lazily or sloppily observe, or your desire to feel good will inspire a greater willingness to look for positive aspects. Also, the more often you do look for good-feeling things to focus upon, the more of those kinds of good-feeling things the law of attraction will bring to you until in time you will be so positively oriented that you simply will not notice the things that don't match your positive orientation. A mother once said to us, in response to our advising her to ignore her son's problems, <laughs> but won't he feel like I've abandoned him? Shouldn't I be there for him? We explained to her that there is no abandonment in focusing upon the positive aspects of her son's life, and there is powerful value in abandoning any thoughts that do not feel good when you think them. We said, you never help anyone by being their sounding board for problems or complaints. By holding an image of improvement in your son's life, you help him move toward that. Be there for him and call him there to a better feeling place. Yeah, that, that, there's a couple thoughts there that we need to address before we go any further because th these are really important. The first one being that when we are feeling someone else's pain, we're not actually feeling the pain. We're simply looking at one particular aspect of what they're experiencing and thinking about, one aspect of it, or maybe one or more aspects. But we're, there are other aspects that don't include pain, and we forget that. I mean, we don't mm -hmm. think about the fact that when somebody's ex experiencing pain, they're also ex exuding and, and reflecting and experiencing other aspects that don't include pain. Because they're focused on it. Yeah. 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 Which is really, it's an interesting thing. And it, it shows just how true it is that pain is in the mind. It's just a sensation. 
right? I mean, well, it's a sensation, even, but it's a sensation that only occurs. Pain. It's a sensation that only occurs in the mind. It doesn't occur anywhere else. The physical sensation doesn't actually occur on the site of an injury, for instance. It right, feels everything to us occurs. Like it does. It, 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 that's the idea that we've talked about before. Yeah. joked about is that everything is all in our head. Sometimes we forget how big that space is. <laughs> it is. It's very big. In fact, uh, I mean, it's kind of a grotesque example, but somebody who loses their leg feels like they still have their leg and it's in pain. Right, right, exactly. So clearly well, it's the not the site of the injury. I, the interesting <clears throat> thing I think about this, though, too, is that the idea of feeling someone's pain, um, we, we do also have what are called mirror neurons, where when we, when we see someone in pain, we have empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of that is, is a human thing that we do. Um, Absolutely. we, we reflect, you know, it's like when someone eats a lemon and they make a sour face, yes. we sometimes <laughs> make the same face because, or we, you know, get the, we have the little muscle twinge in our jaw. It's like, Oh yeah. Um, it's mirror neurons. We're made to be able to empathize. And so I think that we are going to feel the pain of others at times and that we have to focus on the solution and not the problem. That's the pivot. (laughs) It is. And it's not always an easy pivot to make. I mean, talking about the mirror neurons, um, one of the classic examples to illustrate that is there was a, uh, some study where they, they hit a camera in a movie theater and took video of the audience while a movie was playing. And at one point in the movie, somebody gets hit in the groin and you can see all of the men in the audience cringing, <laughs> you know, it's out of just a sympathetic reaction to what they're seeing on screen. Well, you have those kinds of sympathetic reactions. It can be really hard to refocus. I mean, it can be very, very difficult depending on what kind of pain the other person is going through to refocus. But that's right, why I think this information is so valuable. Sometimes with Abraham, it can be like, I remember when we were reading about, um, the ideas for falling asleep and waking up mm-hmm. and the ideas for the, the the kind of consciousness we hold at those times, like falling asleep in a conscious way. And then, you know, waking up, like we talked about one of the things that has become a habit for my brain. Um, Cause I don't feel like I do it consciously now. I, I mean, I wake up and the first thing on my, on my mind is what kind of a day do I want to have? How do I want to feel? What do I want to accomplish? You know, so we were talking about that and, and Abraham said, you know, after a few hours of sleep, when you wake up, and we joke, it's like a few hours of sleep. And you <laughs> said, yeah, they're so non-physical, right? That's it's right, like, yes. <laughs> and so we are, we humans are made in a way that we're, it, it's actually a, can be a, a good and productive and wonderful thing to feel someone else's pain. We just don't want to, we just don't want to stay in that place. That's right, yes. And we, we don't want to help them stay in that place by being a sounding board for whatever exactly. it is. Yes. We want to be good listeners and we want to be able to support someone in, in their own pivot. Right. And they don't actually say it this way, but I mean, they, they do say you, you never help anyone by being their sounding board for problems or complaints. And they, they give the alternative of holding uh, an image of improvement in, uh, of the, in the person's life in your mind, which is true. But going back to the first line, it's really true. And to illustrate the point of just how true it is, you never help anyone by being their sounding board for problems or complaints. What can you actually do for them when you're sounding board for their problems and complaints? Well, you mirror their complaints and problems back to them. 
well, that doesn't help. That, that just reinforces the trauma. Or right. You, well, I think that I think I I really want to address that quickly though because there is something to be said for acknowledgement and validation. Um, sometimes when when someone tells a story over and over and over, it's because they still haven't felt heard and seen. And at the point that they do, they'll be willing to move on past that story. And so it's it's part of what we do in in coaching when someone comes to us with a problem is we want to make sure that we acknowledge and validate what they're going through. Now, that doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out process where we continue to focus on the problem over and over and over. Not at all. But it's, it's the idea that, I, that they feel like they've been heard. Yeah. In fact, it can't and, even be. It, it cannot be hearing it and, and, re, and reiterating and returning to it over and over again. Because, yeah, no way. No. Because, because, because now it's gone way beyond being heard. It's, it's now turning back into trauma. Yes. So it's not that we want to, you know, re-experience these things over and over by holding them. I love that they said at the end of that section, um, by holding an image of improvement in your son's life, you help him move toward that. Be And the word there is italicized. Be there for him. Mm-hmm. Call him there. And that's what we also do um, as coaches is focus on the solution and not the problem we want to be there right right? yeah solution not the problem that's that's one of the key phrases that uh if you want to take something away from abraham and and the rest of it isn't resonating at least take that one away because focusing on solutions is not what we normally do especially when for most of us when most of us are sounding boards for problems and complaints the last thing that we're thinking about is how do I focus on the solution? We may think about how can I solve it for them, which doesn't really help. Or we can we may think about, you know, well, how can I be sympathetic to them, which doesn't really help. It, the sympathy is fine, like you say, and, and it's good if, you, if it's an acknowledgement, but that's not the way most of us do it, is it? Most of us focus on, well, uh, yeah, you've got some pretty serious stuff there. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'd probably feel the same way. And yeah, you know, that that's really bad stuff going on there. And, you know, do you have, can you tell me more about this bad stuff? <laughs> right. Or, or what happens is, is someone says, oh, my goodness, that is terrible that that oh, happened to you. Oh, my gosh. I'm you want so to know what happened sorry to you one for time? you. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're on the pain competition. Right? That's right. Yes. <laughs> okay, so, so when it is your deliberate intention to feel good, and you really care about how you feel, you will find more and more thoughts about more and more subjects that do feel good. And then you will be better prepared to interface with others who could be feeling good or bad. Because of your desire to feel good, you will have prepaved your experience with others with whom you will be interacting. And then it will be much easier for you to focus positively about their situation, no matter what sort of mess they are in. But if you've not been tending to your own vibration, and you have not been consistently holding yourself in good feeling thoughts and vibrations, then you may be swept into their situation, and then you may very well feel discomfort. We almost lose that. The, the, the original question is, how do I not feel their pain? <laughs> That's the original question right there. And there they yeah. are directly addressing it. Yep. Yes. And I'm telling you, I have a couple of friends that are so good at holding 
that vibration. Uh, at the point that I had something really awful happen, um, I called one of them and said, I just need, I just need to hear you uh, talk about this for five minutes or less. And I told her what had just happened. And she immediately just started scripting like the great reality that was going to come out of it. And it was uh, amazing. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, so this can be done. <laughs> it can right. be done, but it, it takes a lot of practice. It takes more than, anything, more than anything else. It takes a willingness to try. And that's not easy. I, I, I'm not saying that uh, to condense somebody who's not willing to try. I'm saying it's not easy to make the shift to I'm willing to try. I'm willing to try looking at positive aspects. That, that takes some doing to do, especially the first few times and even the next well, few times and even the next few after that. <laughs> well, it does because we're human. And that's why I wanted to bring this up about, and you know, I may be differing a little bit with, with Abraham's viewpoint on this, but I think it's important to address the fact that it, in the same way that I talked about the, the protests and people saying, oh, I, I'm not going to go be involved in something with all those angry people and negative emotions. And I didn't see it that way at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that when we see someone, especially someone we love um, in pain, I, I don't want to project this idea that, yeah, if you feel their pain and you empathize with them, um, there's something wrong with you. You know, you're you're not enlightened enough because if you really had this law of attraction thing, you know, down, then you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't empathize with them. You wouldn't feel bad for them because they have pain. Um, sometimes we do, and, and and I I won't back away from that. It's part of what I do, and is that I'm in a caring profession, right? So, mm-hmm. so I think that. It's knowing how to pivot and move away from it and hold the vision for the better opportunity and the better situation that we have to really get. It's not that we're doing something wrong by feeling their pain uh, I, or I, understanding what they're going through. And I think Abraham would agree with that because they often make the point that we come into this contrast to experience the whole range of, of, of preferences and emotions related to that contrast and that there's nothing wrong with with feeling the negative emotions because all that really means is that your physical self is not in agreement with your inner being. But contrast is one of the ways that we put, we decide what it is that we like, what it is that we don't like, put out what they call our rockets of desire and help to create the expansion of the universe. So clearly it's an important piece to have that negative piece there. It's got to be part of it. Yes. And I love what this says next. We just want to emphasize that you're not feeling their pain caused by their situation, but instead you are feeling your own pain brought about by your own thinking. And I'm going to say a big yes, yes, yes to that. That's exactly what's happening. Yes. There is great control in that knowledge. And in fact, true freedom, when you discover that you can control the way you feel because you control the thoughts that you think, then you are free to joyously move about your planet. But when you believe that the way you feel is dependent upon the behavior or situation of others. And you also understand that you have no control over those behaviors or situations. You do not feel free. That, in fact, was the pain you were describing. And I totally agree with that. Mm, Yeah. Absolutely. It's that it's, it's the idea that, you know, we, we, our thoughts are always what are causing 
our, it's our stories, right? It's the mm-hmm. story that the meaning that we're giving to certain things that are happening. It's not really the event. It's the meaning that we give it. And we give that by our thoughts and our stories, which cause us to feel a certain way. And we're the ones creating all those stories. We get to choose. Okay, get- so here we're going to move into a, a section. <laughs> My sympathy is of no value to anyone. <laughs> all right. Oh, no, I feel so depressed. Nobody wants me to be sympathetic to them anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry said to us, so when I take my attention off of those who are in trouble, I'll feel good. But still, that doesn't help them feel better. In other words, I haven't solved the problem. I'm just avoiding the problem. We replied, if you do not focus upon their problem, you can continue to feel good, but they will still have the problem. That is true at first. But if you do focus upon their problem, you feel bad, they continue to feel bad, and they still have the problem. Uh And if you continue to focus on their problem, you will have the problem too, in time. However, if you do not focus upon their problem, but instead try to imagine their solution or positive outcome, you feel good. And there is then the possibility of your influencing them to be more positive to influencing them to more positive thoughts and outcomes. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly right. In simple terms, you are never of value to another and you never offer a solution when you are feeling negative emotion because the presence of negative emotion within you means you're focused upon the lack of what is wanted rather than, hmm, focus upon the lack of what is wanted rather than what is wanted. Yes. Okay. I'm going to read that again. It's all in italics. It's an important one too. In simple terms, you are never of value to another and you never offer a solution when you are feeling negative emotion because the presence of negative emotion within you means you're focused upon the lack of what is wanted rather than what is wanted. Yes. And there's a really important phrase in there, the feeling of negative emotion. Because earlier, for instance, you, you mentioned that it, there's a tremendous value in acknowledging what it is that the other person is saying when the other person is trying to express their pain. But that's not yes. the feeling of the negative emotion. That's just acknowledging the pain. You don't have yes. to be feeling the emotion in order to acknowledge it. Right. But, right. When you, but when you're feeling the negative emotion, you're not only not helping them, you're not helping yourself either. You're not helping either one of you. And that's a great – I'm so glad that you brought that up because – that truly is a very, very important distinction. And I think you said it much better than I did. You know, when, when someone comes to me and they are in a lot of pain and I, and maybe I make the painful face, right? I see, Oh, you're, I see that you're in pain, but I'm holding myself in still in the place of finding the solution and not the problem. And that's the difference is that I can empathize with them. You know, empathize doesn't mean that we feel their pain. It, it means that we're there with them in their pain. We acknowledge it. And so if we can hold the vision of the solution, we'll actually just in that be doing a lot of good for them because we're holding a place for them to come into that's not focused on the problem and the pain. This actually also points to something that 
I once said, and I won't even state which politician it was because I'm not really sure in my own mind which one it was, but I was watching a politician talk, and this politician was saying something, and the person I was I was watching with, I said to that person, boy, that guy is a manipulator. And what the politician said was, I feel your pain. Now, if that's literally true, if he felt that person's pain, as Abraham has made clear here, then he wasn't helping the individual at all, and he was only just hurt, hurting himself. But if he was saying, I feel your pain, as a way of manipulating the individual, then that's even worse in my view. Yeah, there's no help there. <laughs> there's no help, and there's a lot of potential harm being done. And I, I just shook my head saying, oh, you are one master manipulator. So if if someone is having a bad experience and they come into your awareness with a powerful wind of negativity wrapped around them, if you have not already deliberately achieved your alignment with a feeling with feeling good, you may be swept into their negativity and you may become part of their chain of pain and you may very well pass your discomfort on to another who will then pass it on to another and so on. Now, I want to stop here and make a note. You know, there is, an, there is something that I would differ on and it's just language. And I realize we've talked about this before is you've got Esther trying to decipher. Yes. <laughs> She's ciphering what, what, what these ideas are. Right. I really, I really have a tendency not to put emotions in the category of positive and negative because they're all useful mm -hmm. and, and calling them negative. Um, I just tend to call them uncomfortable. Okay. Because right. They're either comfortable or uncomfortable. When all your needs are met, you feel comfortable or you feel pleasure. When you have needs that are not being met, you feel uncomfortable or you feel pain. And part of the issue with the whole, um, I'm making air quotes over here, but the whole love and light crowd always avoiding anything that's negative. Mm. Um, and what happens to some people is that because of that, they ignore feelings that they have that they put into the negative category because they feel like it's wrong to have those feelings. So they ignore their frustration and their anger and that anger turns into depression. And uh, it's not really the healthiest thing to ignore. And Abraham would agree with me on this because oh, yeah. they're saying, no, listen to that's your GPS. That contrast right. is telling you something. And so that's my only beef here is I wish, I wish that they didn't use negative negative and positive because i think that's gotten translated for a lot of people to mean we got to stay away from that that's negative yeah and unfortunately staying away from it that's important it's it's recognizing it figuring out why it's showing up to begin with and then moving away from it and, and i think it's actually a, a very common human trait i mean there are hey we even do it here on the show all, all six of us who, who do this show together, there are numerous times where we'll use the more politically correct term because it's more sensitive. It's more, you know, it's more positive. We don't want to have to mention the negative thing. Now, mm -hmm. I, I can't, for instance, I can't count how many times we've used the word transition rather than death among the group of us. We all do it, you know? And, and indeed, Abraham, 
they actually makes fun of the concept of death. They call it croaking. They want to be as disrespectful <laughs> as possible of it, right? You know, but but we continue to say, oh, well, well, uh, you know, my father transitioned, you know, because we're trying to not say the word death. It's the right. same thing, you know, it, and it's not like we're doing it deliberately. It's not like we're trying to deliberately avoid, you know, saying anything negative. But we do anyway. That's what we do. We humans, when we when we get onto a path of, okay, I got to change my thought pattern, then we try to change the thought pattern. That means change it everywhere. So, you know, sometimes we go a little bit overboard. Well, I remember, I remember during the, during the election, well, it was like right before election day, and someone was commenting somewhere about, that they were going to vote for it was one of the third party candidates and someone else was encouraging them or urging them not to do that saying that's <laughs> just going to be a vote that doesn't count and and they said um well now see you're just making a decision out of fear mm. and we shouldn't and we shouldn't you know make decisions out of fear and fear based decisions and see i stand on the other side i understand what that means and i don't let fear run my life but i'll tell you what is that if someone, you know, is, if your house is on fire, you do something about it, right? And that's usually fear-driven. Mm-hmm. It certainly <laughs> like, is. The house is on fire. Fear would be the appropriate, the appropriate <laughs> emotion to have. And so sometimes, you know, fear and anger and frustration, they actually are appropriate to certain, certain situations. And they can actually, you know, they're keeping us safe sometimes. And they're helping us know what to do, just like Abraham would say, is that these emotions. So, okay, that's my rant. I just don't always like to hear them called negative because I think that they can be very, very useful if we'll pay attention. I agree. Yeah. In fact, I like using the words prefer and not preferred. I think preference is a better way of looking at it. Yes, me too. (laughs) And when you look at it that way, now we have two emotions because Abraham says we have just two emotions, positive and negative. Well, if we we reframe that as we have just two emotions, preferred and non-preferred, that to me all of a sudden starts opening up whole new vistas. Like, okay, yes. well, if I have an emotion that I prefer, the one that we used to call positive, now I understand why I have the emotion because I prefer it. It is a selection that I made. It is a choice that I made. And when I have a negative emotion that I'm now calling not preferred, I am I am choosing not that that motion. I'm saying I don't want that one. I don't like that one. I would rather not have that one at all. And start. Well, see, to and us I, much I love that because remember that. when the, I, I don't know when it was, but it's been in the first fifty pages of this book because we're always we're only on page fifty. I know. Um, <laughs> but there there was a part where it talked about the, how easily we choose the clothes we're going to wear and the things we're going to eat. Like we do that really easily. Oh, I'll have that right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if I prefer pizza and you don't like pizza, it, it's not that you're wrong. It's just not your preference. Mm-hmm. And if I love to wear a pair of red pants and you are never, ever going to wear a pair of red pants, you know, it's not that it's wrong of me to do it. It's just my preference. And that's what I think. Oh, I love the prefer and not prefer so much better. Because it doesn't make that other thing wrong. And I think that somehow, I just, I see it. I see it in posts all the time. I see it in these communities where there's a tendency to make people wrong and be a little judgy about somebody that's experiencing emotions we would prefer not to experience. So 
And quite understandably, to be perfectly honest, because we do have moral codes that we live by, rightly or wrongly, preferentially or non-preferentially, <laughs> we do have them. That's just part of being human. Um, if, if I were to take the truly extreme uh, approach to, to looking at this prefer non-prefer thing, I would have to admit and acknowledge that there are people who prefer the idea of killing people as a political solution. They're the ones who want to go to war. Now, mm. d does that match mm -hmm. my preference? Not at all. My preference is completely against that. I even have a moral code against that. Right. But it, so it makes it really hard for me to acknowledge that that's actually a preference of theirs. And yet it is a preference. It's a yeah. tough one to get my head around. It's a tough one to swallow. But if I'm really being honest with myself, it's a preference. And it's a preference I want to stay as far away from as I can. <laughs> right. I got it. Yeah. No, that's true. That is hard to get your head around, isn't yeah. it? But but yeah. I have to be honest. I have to be honest. Yes, that's a preference. I mean, even Machiavelli had preferences. He preferred to be Machiavellian. That's why they was called Machiavellian. It was named <laughs> after him. You know, the Marquis de Sade preferred to be a sadist. That was his preference. I might yeah, punch him in the face for it, but I I have to admit that's what he preferred. <laughs> and it's not e it's not easy when your preference runs up against someone else's yeah. non preference. That, yeah. yeah, no, I get it. Okay, so let's let's keep going here. I think we can get this next section at least. Um, but if you have been deliberately setting the tone of your day by putting your head on your pillow each night and saying, "Tonight, as I sleep, all attraction will stop." which means tomorrow I will have a new beginning and tomorrow I will look for what I'm wanting to see because I want to feel good because feeling good is the most important thing. As you awaken in the morning, you will be upon a fresh path, bringing no negativity from the day before. And then as you walk into a room and you see someone with pain coming toward you, as this person comes with his or her pain, you do not become part of it, but instead you provide a better example of happiness for that which you feel is that which you radiate. Now, it is not likely that just because you remain happy, others will immediately join you in your happiness. In fact, when there is a great disparity between the way you are feeling and the way others are feeling, you will have a difficult time relating to one another. But in time, if you maintain your positive vibrational stance, they will either join you in your positive place or they will vibrate right out of your experience. The only way unhappy people can stay in your experience is by your continuing attention to them. I've actually had that happen before. What do you it mean? is a true thing. What, what do you mean you've actually had it happen before? Well, I have had people vibrate right out of my experience because I just wasn't buying the, the sad story over and over and over. And so, I, I have a, a tendency and a preference and a desire to always look at the solution. And so when, when you say they, when you say they vibrated right out of your experience, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that they just they kind of disappeared from my life. So, so like one day where they were there, and the next day they weren't. Yeah, I can't tell you that I actually watched them vibrate out of my experience. <laughs> well, that would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, Walt, they started shaking a little bit, and they got smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> and then, poof, they were gone. And I even had cameras in three directions, and they all shrank in the same way. 
<laughs> no, but I mean, I, I have had this experience where, you know, in spite of me doing everything I could to let them know that I did hear them and I did acknowledge and validate their pain and that I, we needed to look for a solution and even providing some solutions that came to mind or whatever and still holding that place um, had people just, you know, kind of vanish out of my life because they didn't want to, they weren't ready. I think that's what it is. You know, I, I wrote an article once, the title of it was, have you suffered enough? And the idea was that until we've suffered enough, sometimes we just stay on that road. <laughs> yes, yeah, <this> it's true. <laughs> we're just not ready to see the light. We're just not ready to look at the solution because we're still over there. And sometimes, you know, the, um, I think that in my experience, that's what's happened. Either people will begin to look at the solution with you and pull out of that place or they won't. And when they don't, oftentimes they don't want to be around people who are um, positive and happy. Yeah, that's true. They're not ready. Yeah. And and I I was kind of putting you on the spot because I just wanted to see if you had any stories to tell about it. Um, and because I can't think of any stories off the top of my head either, but I know there have been many times in my life where just by changing my focus, changing my attention, there were some people who just stopped contacting me. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's amazing to watch it. Um, but when it happens, it just seems normal when it happens like, you know, okay, well, existence continued. But when you look back on it, you say, yeah, where did they go anyway? Because, you know, you just didn't even notice they were gone because you weren't focused there anyway. But then one day you noticed that they were gone. It's like, they just kind of, where did they go? They just kind of stopped calling. What happened? I think that's it, is is that usually it's something you see in hindsight. But yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, they just, you know, it's for whatever reason, you just sort of stop connecting. And I think that's just vibrational. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I can think of certain instances, certain people in my life who I really wanted to go away. And when I stopped paying any attention to them and to their problems and to their stuff at all, they went away. So I know it works that way too. Mm-hmm. And I know that, I, that you can do it deliberately, which is actually quite empowering, I have to say. Um, but most of the time, when people go away because we're just not on the same vibrational level, we're not feeling the same way, it's, it's more like, there's a piece of me that says, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I, I didn't notice well, they were gone, but I'm so glad they're the gone. Relief. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The relief is there. That's the, you're right. That's it. That's the word. It's the relief. And, and sometimes we consciously recognize the relief. Sometimes we don't consciously recognize it. But the relief is always there. And when we do recognize it, that's when we say, where did they go? Right. And, and you're, you know, it's when we're, when we are with someone that we care about that is struggling, but they're unwilling or unready, you know, to, to find the solution, um, it can really become a heavy weight that we carry. That's why we feel the relief when we're not caring anymore. But that's on us. You know, we get to decide whether we're carrying that or not. By the way, an interesting um, side corollary of this is that it also works with people who are um, – Related to us, it, you people who are related to us when they're vibrating on a different level will actually contact us less 
the only way they keep contacting us is, is if we insist on, you know, vibrating on the same level they're on, even though we don't like to. But if we choose to take our attention away from that and focus someplace else, almost invariably, it may take a little time, but almost invariably, they just don't contact us as much because they're not getting the same reaction they were getting before. That's true. Because it's not resonating with them. Yes. You know, just like this says, the only way unhappy people can stay in your experience is by you continuing to give the attention to it, right? You're, right. You're continuing attention to them. If you and two other people were walking along a mountain ledge and you were not watching where you were going and stumbled and fell over the edge and were hanging by a very flimsy vine and one of your friends was was very strong and sure-footed and the other was very clumsy and not focused, which one would you be glad was there? <laughs> Either one in my case. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for the positive aspects is the way you find your sure footing. It is who you are from an inner perspective. And as you consistently align with increasingly better feeling thoughts, the powerful resources of the universe become available to you. To sympathize with others means to focus upon their situation until you feel as they feel. And since everyone has the potential of feeling wonderful or feeling awful, of succeeding at their desires or of failing at their desires, you have options about which aspects of them you sympathize with. We encourage you to sympathize with the best feeling aspects of others that you can find. And in doing so, you may influence them to an improved condition also. And we only have about two and a quarter minutes left, so there's not a lot of time to talk about that last point. But I do know there are times when I have uh, held somebody in that positive light and I've seen the shift. It actually does influence people. I can't say I've seen it work every time, but I have seen it work. And the first time that you notice it consciously, it kind of like hits you in the forehead like, whoa, how did that happen? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it really is and that's, awesome. That's one of the things that, you know, when I – when I teach other coaches um, because I'm a mentor coach to some coaches, it's like we have to be able to hold our client in a space of success. So see if ever I hear a coach, you know, complaining about a client, (laughs) (laughs) it's like we have to be able to see them in that place of success or they'll never reach success with us as, as the coach for them. We have to see it. That's a good point. Yeah. And sometimes that's how we see it is that we start encouraging them with the positive aspects we can see because sometimes they can't see them because they're in pain. And so you're right. It does. It does have the ability to make a big shift. It's truly amazing. Well, for listeners who, uh, because we're near the end here, so we got to kind of draw to a close. (laughs) The hour always goes fast. But for those who might want to have that experience, who might want to be able to talk to somebody and have that person hold them in that positive light, how can they reach out to you, Cindy? Oh, they can find me online, cindychavez.com, C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z.com. All right. Well, let's do it again tomorrow because this has been great as usual. What do you say? I say let's do it again tomorrow. Then that's exactly what we'll do. And we hope that you'll join (laughs) us as well here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.